0: How about now? Yeah, see, I caught them. First thing I wanna do is just acknowledge that we're living in interesting times and because of that, uh, we'd like to pray. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we want to lift the situation in the Ukraine to you, all the surrounding areas, especially we wanna lift up our brothers and sisters who may be going through persecution and difficulty. Lord, you are the rescuer. So please give wisdom, give safety to the church, your church, bring peace where there is turmoil. And Lord, give all of us uh, the wisdom needed to confront these situations by faith, trusting in you as our ultimate deliverer. So Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers, our short prayer here knowing that we will be in constant prayer over this situation, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing today in the the fourth in our series on Two-Faced, and really the point of the whole series is for us to be looking in the mirror every day and trying to identify if we think we are part of the problem of being two-faced in any given situation because the church is accused of that on a regular basis. And you and I both know that in our own lives, there are points where we are a little hypocritical, that we talked about that first week. Pastor Allen has told us for two more weeks the areas that we should be really focused on. If you haven't seen those, go back online and pick them up. Today, we're going to look at one that is probably still apparent in the church with a big C, it's called legalism. It could also be called judgmentalism. It's where people believe a certain way is the right way and there is no other way. Sounds like and is, in fact, the Pharisees of the time of Jesus. Jesus dealt with them on a regular basis. Let me tell you a true story about legalism. There was a rather large church in a big city and it was time for them to call a new pastor and they had gone through the whole process. They had had a search committee, they reviewed several candidates and they landed on one guy that they really thought God was calling them to have as their pastor. So they hired him and then they announced on a Sunday, that next Sunday, our new pastor will be here. And and the place was packed out on that next Sunday. Well, outside the church, there was a man who was shabbily dressed, had a full growth of beard. He just didn't look the kind of person that you might want to enter your church if you're that church, if you're being a little legalistic and judgmental. And so the ushers were watching carefully to see what he did outside the church. They didn't want him mingling with any of the people that were coming in. Well, the service began, and the worship began, and somehow he was able to get past a couple of ushers, and he got into the back row. A few people saw him, and they're going, you know, pointing the fingers. What is he doing here? Well, as the worship continued, suddenly he made his way up the aisle, And now the voices are really getting louder. And he comes up on the stage and they're thinking, oh, ushers, get him off of there. Elders, where are you? And he comes up and he says, you're not a loving church at all. Can you imagine that? This this stranger looking terrible telling him that. And he said, we're going to have a difficult time together as I'm your new pastor. True story. Well, that's the same thing Jesus dealt with. It's the opinions that you and I gather along the way of what we think a believer should be or what we think church should be. And the scripture is very clear in the teachings of the answers to that. So today we're going to look at a time when someone is questioning Christ and in Luke Uh, we find this situation of Jesus meeting with a lawyer. And now it's Luke chapter 10, and there are lots of verses in it, but we're just going to go literally one verse at a time and walk through this event and hear what God has to say to you and to me about how this came to pass. Luke 10, 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a good question. That's a question that you should have asked at some point in your life. What should I do to inherit eternal life? And if you already know the answer, you're in a good spot. If you don't, listen carefully because you'll hear it today. This was a man who was steeped in law The Phariseeistic law, he knew all the law of God and he knew all the laws that the Jews had added to, these Pharisees had added to the law of God. He knew them all. So he loved to debate with rabbis. He liked the challenge of posing a question just to find out intellectually what the answer was. You see, this man had a problem and that is that his knowledge was all he had. Nothing had slipped into his heart. You can know a lot about Jesus. You can know a lot of Scripture and not know about salvation, not know about the work that Christ accomplished for you. You can know that. Well, this man, as an expert, was also works-oriented. He believed that if you outwardly kept all the laws that had been written for the Jews you would gain entry into heaven. That was his belief. And that's why he's asking Jesus to justify his own belief. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And he's hoping Jesus will say, well, here are the five things you need to do. But if you know Jesus, having read the scriptures about him, having prayed to him, you know that most often he answers a question with what? A question, that's right. He does. He's going to answer a question with a question. So what does he say? In verse 26, he says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? I just hate that when it happens. You know, when you pose the question, they come back because you already know the answer. Well, this particular rabbi, this lawyer, he knew the answer and he quoted from two different places in scripture. Now we'll read his quote in verse 27. Verse 27. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. He just quoted from Deuteronomy 6, 5, which the Jews call the Shema, hear, O Israel, what does God require of you? And it was to do these things, to love the Lord your God. He also quoted from Leviticus 19, that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Good answer. Showing that he knew the answer. Well, Jesus says, okay, do it. Don't you hate that? I mean, you know, in other words, you know the truth. Just do it. You don't have to get it qualified. If Jesus says it, do it. Now the man is in a position, to, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to have to do anything. I'm just supposed to know. I have all of this knowledge here that's going to get me into heaven. I know you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, that's that's not going to be enough. So we keep moving. We go to Luke 10, 28, Jesus said, you answered correctly, do this and you will live. And then in 29, but this lawyer, he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus. And who is my neighbor? I can just see that and feel it, can't you? This guy's got his nose up in the air and he's just this brilliant theologian and he's got it all figured out and here's this rabbi who doesn't even look nice and there are rumors about him and he's saying, so, you know, who's my neighbor? It's not uncommon for us to treat Jesus like that too. A prideful, prideful statement. Well, Jesus is kind, uh, as he always is. And he's going to tell a story because that's how Jesus answered questions. That's how Jesus trained his disciples through storytelling. He told them things from which they could draw the truths that they needed to be able to understand the real answer to the question. It sets up the entire teaching between Jesus and this lawyer. He's going to teach him how far he is from the truth. You don't want to be far from truth. You not only want to know that truth, you want the help of God to live out that truth. So here comes the story. Now, there are a few facts before we open it up. Jericho. Jesus places the story in Jericho on a road between Jerusalem and Jericho. And it's a dangerous place, but 12,000 priests lived in Jericho. So they had the freedom of passage. No robber would mess with the priests. No robber would mess with Levites because these were holy people and you didn't mess with the holy people. But Herod recently had completed his temple and had released 40,000 workers. They're now unemployed. Some of them, to be gainfully employed, become robbers on that road. It was a very dangerous road to travel if you weren't a priest or a a rabbi. So Jesus is setting up the scene for them to hear this story, and this is the place he picks. The lawyer is well aware of all the situations that are taking place there. So he's thinking, this is going to be a good story. Now, the Jews like to tell stories the same way we do. You heard about, you know, three men went into a... It's always that, right? It's always three women did so-and-so. For some reason, there are always three. So Jesus says, starting out, there was a man. Now, verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He does not distinguish who the man is, where he's from, what he's doing on the road. He just said, there's a man. So they didn't know, but they believed, since you always told stories in threes, that this man would be an Israelite for sure. And then the three that would come would be some form of Israelites that would be dealing with it. That was their expectation in storytelling. Jesus says, He was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. There's the opening to the story. A man with no name, no designation, he's robbed, he's left for dead. And the priests and the Levites, he knew, would not help this man unless they knew that this man was an Israelite. They had to know for sure. You know, sometimes the world is better at being a neighbor than you and I are. Remember the storm that hit the East Coast, especially the Virginia area on the first week of January, and it was on I-95, and there were 47 miles of backed up vehicles in the snowstorm? Some of you may remember that. That's this year. Well, there's the story, true story, of a couple who were in that parked for over 30 hours unable to move, couldn't go anywhere, had no food, no water. They didn't know what they were gonna do. She says she could actually hear children crying in cars around them. And she looked in front of her and there was a big tractor trailer that was a food tractor trailer. It was a bread delivery truck. She said, why not? She picks up her cell phone and she calls the number and leaves a message, not thinking that anything's gonna happen. 20 minutes later, the owner of the bread company, and this is a subsidiary of the company he owns, calls her. He says, I received your message. He said, The man driving the truck in front of you's name is Ron Hill. That shows that they really know what they're doing when they know the driver that's in the truck stuck out in the middle of nowhere. He said, I want you to go to Ron and tell Ron to open his truck and give. A bag of rolls and a loaf of bread to everyone who needs it. She said, We gave out over 300 loaves of bread that day to take care of the people in their time of need. Now, I don't know if any of those that I mentioned are followers of Christ or not. For this illustration, it doesn't matter. The point is look what they did to be a neighbor to somebody. And yet we have difficulty neighboring other people. So Jesus is wanting to make this impact, not only on the lawyer that's there, but remember, there are people standing around. The disciples are around him. The Jews were separatist. And not much has changed since the days of Jesus. There are churches that are separatist. Us four, no more, close the door. Everybody just like us, not community church. As a matter of fact, we are looking for those that God loves, everybody out there to come in, to come in here, to come into Alma, to come into St. John's. We're looking for the lost. We're looking for the person who is really in need. And we want to be a neighbor to them by giving them the one thing they may not have which is a relationship with Jesus Christ, their Savior. We want to lead them into a focused life with Christ. Jesus is very upset even though he's telling this story. Three characters in the story. Jesus gives them three. But remember I said the third should be an Israelite? Let's go to verse 31. The first one he talks about is the priest. He says, a priest happened to be going down the same road... When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Why would he do that? He's a priest. Well, because to touch anyone who is dead, and he didn't know if he was alive or dead, would defile the priest. And legally, he knew that he could not do that because he would violate his vows as a priest. So he had no heart for doing this because he knew we need to exclude all unbelievers. You know, the the faith is not for the unbeliever. It's just for the believer. You've been in a church like that? I have. The church is not for us. We are the church. The church is to draw those who are not of the church into the church. That's our purpose. It's not about us. It's not about what we like and don't like. It's about what God is calling us to do. So Jesus is saying, here's this priest who didn't do what he was called to do to minister to people, to care for them. Well, if that's not enough, he says in verse 32, so too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him passed on the other side. Why is he picking on a Levite? Because the Levite's the one who reads the word of God in the temple and then hands it to the priest to interpret. So he knows the word of God. He knows what it should be. But again, he doesn't want to mess with any unbeliever, anything that's not of the Israelite belief. So he walks away from him. Now Jesus shocks all the listeners because he says that there was a Samaritan. Look at this, 33. But a Samaritan, right there, every ear in the crowd is going, a what? A Samaritan, that's a half-breed. That's a part of the Jewish clan that married those who took others into captivity. We don't have anything to do with them. We don't want to have anything to do with them. As a matter of fact, let no one eat the bread of the Samaritan, and let not the resurrection bring the Samaritans up. I mean, that's how they really felt about this. And Jesus says, There was a Samaritan. (laughs) And he says it with such peace, and they're going, Where is this going? That should have been another Jew. It shouldn't be a Samaritan. As he traveled, he came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Wow. The action of the Samaritans spoke louder than the words of the law. Because where it says, love your neighbor as yourself, this Samaritan, who is not of that persuasion of theology of the Jewish Pharisees, yet he acts as they should. So sometimes unbelievers act better than we do. So we are called to the challenge of being sure that we understand what God's calling us to do, to not be legalistic, to not be judgmental about anything we see, but to see the person as Christ sees the person in his eyes. What did he do? Well, he bound up his wounds. He carried him to where he needed to go. He paid for him to stay there. And then he says in the last part of the verse that The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Sounds like Jesus to me. Jesus bound up my wounds. He carried me in my day of trouble. He paid the price for me to have eternal life. And he's coming back for me. And he is for you, too, because he is the ultimate neighbor. Our Savior did all these things. He's talking about himself here in a very veiled way. He's saying, this is how you treat people, no matter who those people are. This is how you love one another. And we're known for that love. He was moved with compassion. Luke ten thirty six. Jesus says, So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Now here's the challenge. You have a priest who does not want to even say the word Samaritan because he hates them so much. And yet he must have integrity in his answer and he has to admit that the Samaritan was better than the priest and the Levite. This has got to be a very difficult thing for him to say, but he took himself down that road. He took himself right where Jesus wanted him to be. Jesus wanted him to see. look, there are times in your life where you think you're going somewhere and you think it's right, but it's wrong. But I will show you the right path to take so that you understand. Jesus totally turned rabbinic Judaism on its head. He turned it upside down. He said, there's, there's no need for this. Who are your neighbor to? I was neighbored 2007. The latter part of seven is we entered eight. Some of you remember what happened in 2008 when we went through that, some called it a recession. In Michigan, we called it a depression. I went with an agency, my wife and I did that had guaranteed our income and our ministry three months later they went bankrupt and I'm out there with no church no ministry I started filling pulpits where I could I took other work where I could I'm on my porch one day and my phone rings I answer it and it's a former pastor who worked with me and his wife's name is Linda and he called and he said is Linda there and I'm thinking why are you calling my wife because my wife's name's Linda. And I said, hey, how are you doing? He said, oh, Wally, why did I get you? I said, I don't know. You're calling my wife. He said, no, I'm not. <laughs> he said, how are you doing? I said, pretty good. He said, I heard what happened. He said, uh, that's not why I called. I said, that's okay. He said, do you have any needs? I said, you know, God is so good. We're doing fine. He's helping us to make every, every end meet. And I said, so we're, we're just excited. Pray for us. He said, I will. He called back about a half hour later. He said, our church wants to pay your house note for the next three months. I didn't ask for that. That's neighboring. That's Christ showing himself through someone to someone else. We went through that process for three years without a church ministry. Never missed a house note. Never missed a bill. Never missed a mission trip because of God's Faithfulness. And that's how God works. The expert in the law says to Jesus, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus, what does he say again? Go and do likewise. Do it again. I've told you twice now that you're supposed to do what you've been taught, not just know about it. It's important to understand. It's like love comes down to help. You see, need looks up to love. If you're a follower of Christ and you have a need, you look up and you say, Lord, this is my need. I know he already knows it, but he likes to hear you ask him. He says, this is my need, Lord. And then love comes down and love responds to the need in an appropriate way, the way that God intends it to be answered. It's not always the way that I want it answered. The healing doesn't always come. The finances don't always get straightened out. You know, the car doesn't always keep running. Even though I think that's the way it should be, I'm going to trust my neighbor, my God, to know that he knows what he is doing. And by faith, I will believe that and I will attempt to live it. Some of you remember the old song, I'm going to change the lyrics on it. I'm not going to sing it, okay? Looking for need in all the right places. Loving to help. So many faces. That's what we're supposed to be about. Are you judging people instead of helping them? You know, Let's put the unbeliever to shame by outdoing the neighboring. Let's do more neighboring than the unbelieving world does. Let's neighbor one another. If you have a need, let somebody know. Pray first. Tell God first. Then come to the body of Christ here and let us know what it is. You'll be surprised how God meets your needs. Once in a while... God does something that I don't agree with uh, but I accept and especially when he makes me the illustration. Now, yesterday our family is on its way back from a vacation and we're in that huge city of Findlay, Ohio. Okay, for those of you who know where that is, it's actually on the map. We're near there, south of there. When we hear a clunking noise, uh, that's my mechanical expertise. That's exactly what it was. It clunked and then it clinked when you turned left. It's quarter of two in the afternoon and I call the GMC dealer in Finley. Well, we don't have any mechanics working on Saturday. Well, who should I call? Well, why don't you try this place? So I call this place and the guy says, well, we close at three. But this is what it sounds like. Well, what it sounds like didn't sound good to me. He said, but bring it on in. We'll see. I said, well, I'm 30 minutes from you. So I'm not going to get there until 2.15. They'll only have 45 minutes to figure it out. We get there at 2.15. It's my wife, one of my daughters, and me. Ten minutes later, they got it on the rack. Ten minutes after that, the guy comes out. He says, you can't drive this car. My first thought, I got to preach tomorrow. What do you mean I can't drive this car <laughs> and I said I can't drive it no you cannot drive this car it is a dangerous car to drive I said what's wrong with it he said well he said the the bearings on the left front are gone the axle seems to be frozen in and other things may be and he starts off on all this mechanical stuff some of you know what he's talking about the hub's got to be replaced and, and I'm going say what you know and he said yeah he said uh, I can't order the parts until Monday They'll come in on Tuesday and he said, we'll probably fix it by Wednesday. I'm like, but I got to preach tomorrow. You know, God, you know that I've got to preach tomorrow, right? And there's no answer. I said, okay, my wife is praying. All right, I'm still questioning. She's praying and she says, it's gonna be fine. She said, I'll stay down here and wait for it. And she said, you and Katie can rent a car. I said, anywhere to rent a car here? No. Can I rent your car? Nope. I said, well, how am I supposed to get home? Try Uber. You know what an Uber would have cost from Finley, Ohio? Well, the problem is there weren't any Ubers in Finley. <laughs> or lifts, Or airplanes. Or buses. I mean, there's no way out of Finley once you get there. All right, you're stuck. And I'm trying to get my wife a hotel room at the same time. My, wa- my daughter is calling a taxi to come take her over to the hotel I mean everything's happening at once and I call the hotel and they say well we can't take her because all of our power's out and we can't even get into our rooms, it's Finley okay I said I really don't know what we're going to do, I can't get her a reservation at any hotel we can't get an Uber, we can't get a lift. a taxi's here and the guy that drove up was in his pajamas it's Finley So about that time, in the midst of all of this, we're still praising the Lord. Okay, Lord, if this is what you got for us today, I'm gonna call Alan and tell him that he's preaching tomorrow. Now, I told Alan that this morning, and he said, Thursday, God told me to take out my materials and review them because I might be preaching on Sunday. He said, but Friday, I knew that wouldn't happen. I said, well, why don't you call me and tell me that? Then I wouldn't have worried on Saturday. The mechanic runs out. He says, stop everything, cancel everything. Don't do anything. I said, what? He said, I got the axle out. I didn't realize we had a hub in stock. He said, I'll have you out of here in 15 minutes. And I know that that was God, but these are unbelievers. We talk to them. We know they're unbelievers, nice people, very nice, but unbelievers. And they're showing us this mercy. They closed the building, they stayed to fix the vehicle, and then the guy comes out and he says, it took us a lot less time than I thought it would, so I'm not gonna charge you that. He said, you're gonna pay cash? I said, yep. And I'm not gonna tell you how much it was, but it was about $700 less than I thought it was gonna be. And we praise the Lord, I said, I am going to write the company and tell them about you. You know, and he said, that would be helpful, <laughs> okay? God did all of that for today not for me but to show me that these people neighbored me better than I've neighbored others so where are you in your neighboring love demands no limit whatsoever it has no limits it never fails it never gives up and it never runs out That's the love we are to express to one another and to those outside. Don't be the Pharisee, be the neighbor. Let's stand and worship the Lord.